Hey everyone, we're super excited to present the AI Native Database podcast series. We've invited some incredible people to discuss where these new advances in generative AI are taking us and the role that database systems will play in it. This series contains four interviews with Andy Pavlo, Paul Groth, John Maida, and Dan Shipper. All four podcasts feature WeVA co-founder and CEO, Bob Van Light. Thank you so much for watching. I really hope you enjoy the series. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching another episode of the WeVA podcast. We have another super exciting episode in our special CEO series featuring WeVA CEO Bob Van Light. Today we welcome John Maida, the VP of Design and AI at Microsoft. John has had an incredible career at the intersection of design and AI and uh, human-computer interaction. I want to say the, the professor at MIT, uh, the president of Rhode Island School of Design, and I'm so excited to welcome John to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here with the CEO. Wow, this is an honor. <laughs> yeah, so it's, thanks for being here, John. It's like I, I, I told Connor um, before this, like I, the, I'm following your work for like a long time already. And when I started to work in, in, in software, and so I, what Connor said is true, so I, I studied music. And you were actually one of the first that I was like, hey, it's actually okay that if you have like an art background that you can work in software, it was kind of a validation that that was like, okay, right. That's a, uh, so, and, and now here we are. And I remember the, of course, the, the famous design and tech reports. I remember that number one, I was, I've been, I think I've been to all of them at South by Southwest. Whoa. And, um, uh, the funny thing was, I remember last year. I was sitting in the audience. I also noticed, by the way, that the room of the Design and Tech Report keeps growing on a yearly basis and the people listening to the report. But I remember that last time I was sitting there and you were talking about what's happening in AI and the role of, of you know, design in that. And there it was, Vector Database. It was like on the screen in the report. And I was like, could you imagine this? Holy cow. I was like, this is amazing. So thank you for being here. This is fantastic. Whoa, you're saying early art technology conflict many years later and then create vector database company and we connect together through vector databases. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of perfect because, you know, I've watched your talks and they're always about how human expression and these multidimensional vectors are literally relatable. Right. Yes. And that's something that uh, having a, an abstract thinking ability from the arts makes you quite unique as a, a leader in the field. Well, thank you. It's, it's a um, it, so one of the things that I also that I learned, and that again, that's also a party to your work, was the um, is the, the 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 role of the of like um, I wouldn't say if I would say user experience that would be too narrow, way bigger. But it's the that 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 human influence on the technologies that we're building, right, and how people interact with that. And um, uh, so once, uh, like two years ago or some three years ago, I I was invited to give a TEDx talk and I actually did it about that subject, right. So what's the role of human language in the software that we in the technology that we that we create? And that's actually something that I would love to talk about today because one of the things we're doing in this series is they were saying like, we now see this new wave of like technology and the databases, for example, with AI, vector database, et cetera. But we actually want to get the question and it's like, what, where are we going, right? So this is most likely not the end, you know, the, the last, you know, the end of the line. This is like just a, we're somewhere now with everything that, uh, that everybody is creating. And we're trying to get the, the question answered like, 
So what's what's next? Where are we going? What's like the optimal way of interacting with our technologies? And we've been talking to to scientists. We have been talking more on a, on a philosophical level about these kind of things. But I also would love to talk to you about that from a more a from the experience slash human kind of angle, right? So how do we, where do we want to go in interacting with these systems? And I think what's so interesting, I'm very curious to hear your talk, your, your take on this, is that the now with AI, it feels as if people start to anthropomorphize with the systems. Like it's like a, it, it's not like it gives me data, but it's like it, it tells me something. There's a, and I would love to get your take on where you think that this is, what this is opening up and where we're going with this. Well, first of all, you know, whenever I explain to executive teams how this AI works, I urge them to understand that there's two kind of AI models that are emerging at the same time, one being completion and the other being embeddings, right? And we love generative AI, but if it's contextless, it hallucinates. So only having vector databases, working with generation, do we get lower hallucination, right? It's almost as if... There's questions and answers, but the answers depend upon the context of the question being asked, which is the hell foundation of art. You know, I'm excited about how we're asking questions about um, meaning, whose meaning, your meaning, long form, short form, medium form. And I love that, uh, at least right now in 2023, late 2023, they say that even if you have a giant token window, uh, it only remembers the beginning and end, like a human being <laughs> might. Um, <laughs> and so really, uh, memory matters a lot. And on the topic of humanization, uh, I consciously tell people the thing that Dr. Joseph Weizenbaum explained in the 1970s, that as humans, we can't help but imagine that these things are human when we're talking with them. And that's dangerous. Mm. So we don't think when we're talking to a SQL server that it's a human ever. We interact <laughs> yeah. with it in a way that's like, oh, could get it wrong, could get it right, it's up to me. I think with these ways of communicating with vectors, hearing a voice in our head that it's alive in some form, uh, it's not going to advance the science, I believe. Mm. Can, can, can you say more about that? So, so can you double click on that? Why, why yeah. not? Um, you know, with the new OpenAI Assistant API, mm -hmm. um, I'm really struck by how many folks are excited about making these, um, we call it, we would say plugins, planners, and personas. So making these persona type objects. Mm -hmm. Because people who can't program, this is a great way to program. Because you're creating context for an assistant and now you can communicate with it, have two assistants communicate with each other to do work. It's essentially computer programming, but with a conversational personality-based interface. Mm. Um, however, if you start thinking they're real people or they're capable like real people, then I think that's a, um, uh, it makes you less good at engineering the system, I believe. Maybe, maybe just put it that way. Yeah, I, I have a question about that. So I... Um, I once was at a, at a at a conference in on Iceland actually in Reykjavik, and the the I don't know if the conference it was a tiny conference. I don't I don't remember it still exists, but it's called Material, and the goal of the conference was um, that everything in software moves so fast that um, um, 
we, we create stuff, but then we just stop using it and then we lose that knowledge. And the, they gave example, as an example, they gave, they went way back in like 500 years back in time to uh, Da Vinci. And they showed one of the drawings that he had for like a crossbow or something. And they said like, based on this drawing today, we cannot build this crossbow because the, the, the knowledge that he assumes that we have about how to build the thing is gone. And then they moved it closer to today and they took flash as an example, right? An action script. So when that was like killed, what, what, there was a lot of creativity happening in flash, right? So what people were building and then all of a sudden it was gone. So, so my question is like, is, they, is, there, is there a risk in, based on what you just said, in um, taking that abstraction layer of actual engineering away by giving people the feeling that they're just interacting or the experience of just interacting with a system that we're just losing knowledge on how to build reliable, good systems? Mm, good question. I mean, I've heard people talk about you know, prompt engineering versus prompt design, and everyone's looking for ways to kind of categorize what's better or what's not. I guess my concern is that um, uh, that Weizenbaum-style ca word of caution, mm. that we can't help but have the delusion that these things are really sentient and thinking. When it's mm. talking to you, it's like when a doll talks to you as a kid, you think it's alive. Yeah. So we can't help but awaken that sort of child that like learn how to communicate with another human being. Uh, when we're kids, we can accept a surrogate as a stuffed animal talking. Mm -hmm. When we're older, we're like, oh, it's not alive. Um, yeah. I think that that interface is very powerful. But then with, if that interface engenders the wrong kind of trust, like, oh, trust me, I'm like fully sentient and 100% always right. Oh, okay, I'll listen to you all the time. Um, that's poor engineering, I think. Interesting. Or social engineering also. In so, so just to make sure that I, that I, that I um, got this correctly. So you're basically saying that if you make the system that's, that's, that's being designed slash engineered, um, if you, if you make people believe that it's a sentient being, that's a form of bad design or bad engineering. Am I, is, I, is that I what you're saying? I think that's just a, a perfect example of irresponsible AI. Mm. There's responsible AI, I guess there's Rye and IAI or, or something, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and again, um, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a judgment call that people will make differently. Some yeah. people, as we know, are if you look online, there's already very realistic, humanistic things that are meant to kind of lull you into thinking they're really real. Mm -hmm. And for some people, like in therapy situations, they're seeing that this is really good for people who are having a really hard time and can always have access to a human being, quote unquote, to talk with. I read something about security guards at night uh, mm. who are really troubled. They need someone to talk with. I find that mm -hmm. an interesting use case. Um, yeah. That said, but in general environments of work or building systems, once we personify them, overhumanize them, uh, I think it just gets us humans in the wrong kind of relationship. That's why I like the word co-pilot. Yeah. Because the pilot is the human and the co-pilot is the co-pilot. 
the pilot is boss and co-pilot is not boss. The mm. co-pilot needs boss to get feedback from. The co-pilot doesn't know everything in the world. But if once you personify it as knowing everything in the world and being as good as your partner or it could be your boss, then you lose your accountability, I think. Ah, interesting. So the, the so basically the risk sits in the fact that we just we're basically shifting accountability away, right? So it's like an, it's like really an ethical thing, right? So it's like that we saying like, no, 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 it's like the 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 AI told me to do this, or the AI said, you know, that I should have done this. Something Whereas you the really trust, right? It's like, oh yeah. well, you know, my my AI Sven or Jan told me this. That's why I believe it. Um, you know, we get in the same problem ourselves. Like, you know. Like David said this, it must be right. <laughs> and then you sort of run off on a wild goose chase and then you come back and say, oh, uh, David wasn't right. I'm going to tell David uh, they weren't right. Um, if, if there are many AI agents personifying things, uh, it's easy to lose accountability, I think. I think it becomes less responsible. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because with a, with, back to a, sequel, uh, to a SQL system, it sounds really weird to say like, you know, my SQL database told me to do this, right? That's kind of a weird, yeah, perfect example. It's it's it, it kind of nobody's gonna buy that, right? So so, <laughs> what what query went in to make you do this weird kind of thing, right? So it's a that makes that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. So but it's so is how is this related to um, so people like Jean Lacun and Sarah? They now make a lot of noise, right? About the um, it's like we, we should not go into the whole doomsday scenario thinking. Oh. these kinds of um, how how is that is it related really... to that or is it different? Um, I think since I was younger, I always believed that that saying when you learn how to drive, you go to where you're driving. Like, how do I steer? Well, if you steer towards the edge of the whatever, you're going to go that way. So stay in the lanes by like you know looking in between the lanes, and you're going to steer that way. Mm -hmm. I think that in this era, um the more we focus on going in that direction, we'll end up in that direction. So I'm biased towards que asking questions about how do we go on that side because all technologies have a, a kind of a yin and yang, uh, mm -hmm. pro and con. You know, most people know about the Nobel Peace Prize, but most of them don't know that Alfred Nobel created dynamite, mm. which was a life-saving technology for miners who were digging mines with their hands and tools. It was very dangerous. The so dynamite was amazing. But also dynamite is responsible for the most deaths in any war scenario uh, mm. in, the, in the early 1900s. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a, okay. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I see. Yeah. I, I So I just, I, so I have one more question related also to the design aspect from this, right? So yeah. now now we're going to see if I if I listened, you know, if I saved all the information correctly. From where where did your vector of embeddings go? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, you distinguish three types of design, right? So yeah. um, uh, um, uh, so classical design, so the, the traditional, may there is like Bauhaus style kind of design, right? If I if I may call yeah. it tra uh -huh. traditional design. Then we have design thinking, so related to um, um, uh, more conceptual, right? The, so how we how we create um, design systems, organizations, etc. And then we have computational design related to how we build software and technologies. And um, on so every design and tech report that I've seen, and we're, we've been talking about um, uh, technology, then that obviously 
set in the computational design bucket, right? So my, my question is, everything that's happening now with AI, has that more influence on computational design or actually on design thinking? Are they oh, I emerging? think that, um, by the way, I created that taxonomy because everyone who talked about design, it was getting confusing. And I wanted to characterize computational design, which nobody understood. And um, I got a lot of people angry at me who are in classical design and um, design thinking. But anyways, I think it sort of worked for me and it's worked for a few other people maybe because I think of computational design exactly as you're saying that it was waiting for AI to occur. Mm -hmm. And now computational design is in the way, way foreground mm -hmm. and it's impacting classical design, how we make things. With generative AI, we can already see that in the image making space, the model making space, the UX wire flow space. It's like, wait a second, it's sort of making classical design artifacts. Mm. Design thinking, it's being used to be able to make offsites much faster. Mm. Uh, it's being able to help you build consensus in large organizations faster. So I think about design thinking as being revolutionized by AI uh, right now and increasingly so. And the neat thing about computational design is it is impacted by Moore's Law's impact. So now with AI, it's just going to keep doubling at a speed that um, it's really hard to keep up with. I don't know about you, Bob, but every morning or yourself, Connor, every morning like, oh, that wasn't possible. Oh, well, it's not possible now. I thought maybe yep. it'll take like nine to 15 months and suddenly, huh, new world. Yeah. Yeah, I have a, I have a, uh, to, uh, as an anecdote, so I have, I have a um, friend who, um, somebody, somebody tweeted something that they built with like an image thing with Weaviate something, and this friend retweeted it, and he, and he said like, I remember the times when I was a, uh, a VP at, at Google. It took us like six months to build this, and now somebody alone builds this in a weekend. It's like it's insane how fast that that's gone. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. It, it, it is amazing how we're able to create with AI in a truly agile manner to build yeah. POCs faster than ever we thought was going to ever happen. Yeah, 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 and we're so used to AI taking a long time, like n months to gather the data, m months to to train, um, more months to sort of test. Now we can like rapidly test and um, like if you look at all the open AI innovations for after dev day in the last 48 hours, it's like, mm. could you ever build that last year? I, I don't think so. Well, exactly. So I'm one thing that I'm, that I'm curious about now, you now you mentioned open AI. So the, in, in your opinion, right? So I, so I started to work on 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 Weaviate way back in in 2016 it wasn't database yet but it's like a it was of course had that focus on machine learning and i remember that i was on stage you know giving demos and there people was oh you have some some kind of a keyword list or something and i was no 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 no, no. it's the model right so it's like and that you the, the the i think i saw a video from you like you have like apples and bananas and pears showing distance i did all that stuff too and all, and there was like also a lot of like status quo bias, right? So no, 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 we're fine. How are we doing stuff right now? And that shifted with that whole chat GPT release, right? So for the whole, what's your, why? Why was, why was it that thing, in your opinion, 
that was the eye-opening thing because people were building stuff. I mean, um, the whole the whole uh, the, the generative models are already there. People are experimenting with. We already saw companies uh, come up using these 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 API endpoints to create like avatars and that kind of stuff. But for whatever reason, it was this chat interface on chat.openai.com, I believe, that that made that 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 shift. Why what? Why was that? Was it what what happened? Why why was were people ready at that time and not before? Well, you know, I'm jealous of you, Bob, because you've been doing this longer than me. So I, uh, but technically speaking, I've done it longer in terms of expert systems in the 1980s and list machines, and so. But that AI didn't do a lot. So I think you started at the right moment. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you knew what embeddings were, you knew, but all these things that were emerging, I didn't for sure. And mm. I think that, um, people who were in the field were in Moore's law, the kind of, a you were there in the early days and the doubling went from one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16. And it was taking a long time. I think mm. we've arrived. Uh, and ChatGPT arrived at the moment when it was doubling in giant chunks. Um, mm. Analogy I give in how to speak machine comes from a British riddle about a pond with lily pads. You clear the pond, and the story goes that if you plant one lily pad, it doubles overnight, and one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight. But the riddle goes on day 30, when is the... Uh, excuse me, the riddle goes on day 30, the pond is completely filled with lily pads. On what day is it half full? The average person is going to say day 15 because 30 divided by 2 is 15. But Moore's Law people will say day 29. Yeah. So I think that chat GPT happened at the moment when embedding models and uh, generation models and the ability to scale that capability to millions of users happened at that doubling moment. And now it's doubling even further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it, it, interesting. And I, that, and the, so one thing that I also find very interesting, what you said about you, you just said something about like, uh, about embeddings and you said like, you know, I, I didn't know what they were, those kind of things. So one thing that I really appreciate also in, in, in your work, also what you're not doing, like, you know, on the, with LinkedIn videos and that kind of stuff is that the, um, we as like technologists and building technology, we have this tendency to write complex stuff, yeah. right? And and what we do is we signal to the outside world, look how smart we are, right? That is what we do. Like, so let's make sure that we have this mathematical equation in that blog post to 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 show that we I don't I don't think that the majority of people who read those blog posts actually can parse that what's what's in there. And but the problem is that what, what we're doing with that is like, that's all, you know, it's, it's all very, um, you know, we do that for ourselves, right? To just show off that we know stuff. But we're leaving like a large group of people behind who do not understand yeah. this kind of stuff. I saw recently on, um, on a Reddit post where people, where somebody, I think it was like, I think it was on the Langchain Reddit or something where it was like, I actually don't know what embeddings are and how they work. And then a lot of people responded, I don't know either. Right, huh. and they were they were building stuff, and you're doing such a great job in the in the um, 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 in just explaining to people in layman, layman's terms what what's happening, what we're building. But I also remember that you um, uh, a couple of months ago you had a, like a LinkedIn post 
whereas some somebody I think criticized that or the 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 depth that you were going in with what you were sharing in the videos. Oh yeah. And I was surprised that people don't get that, right? So it's like, okay, but I I, oh. I would love you to to speak about that because it's a it's a we need to help people to understand how they can build these systems, right? Well, you know, I benefit from not being that smart and <laughs> I have a hard time understanding stuff. And after I understand it so that I can explain it to myself, I'm happy to explain it to others. Knowing that there are much smarter people in these different fields that can explain it better than me. And they're often more than happen to tell me that. And I'm used to it from all the different fields I've been in, whether, because I began in engineering and I went to design and people thought I was a, uh, knew nothing about design. I got my MBA. People thought I knew nothing about business. Went to investing. People told me they didn't know anything about investing. <laughs> you know, I've been doing just a variety of things and I'm used to people telling me, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I appreciate that criticism because it forces me to want to learn more. Yeah. But the, isn't it also, so I, I appreciate that answer, but I'm, I saw, isn't this also, aren't we, isn't our job to help people understand this kind of stuff? It's, well, I, be, well yeah. I think you see it that way and your team's doing a marvelous job of explaining things so that anyone can understand it. And um, it's part of your strategy, I think, which I think is a good one. Mm -hmm. um, it's been my strategy, but as you know, some people take the strategy of, gee, you're too dumb to understand this, so you're going to come to me as the expert and thank me for my expertise. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is interesting. I think it's because you're an artist. That's why you're doing it that way. It's very unusual. Um, someone asked me, like, why do I come across as so uh, insecure or lacking confidence? It's because yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious and curious uh, people don't look as confident as people who are less curious. Mm -hmm. Artists are curious and they like to share what they're thinking to get feedback around it in yeah. ways that more people can actually give you feedback because you could yeah. be wrong. And when you're wrong, you're excited because, ah, I got to improve that. I think it's the basic of agile engineering, right? But I think artists live a very agile mentality. Yeah, so it's it's interesting to that you say that because it's like I I I see that as like two topics, right? It's from my perspective, it's exciting to share with people. Hey, look what we're figuring out. Look what we're trying out. Look what we're what we're building, right? So, I um, uh, as a very pragmatic example, um, I always call myself the 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 noob. Uh, a Weaviate user. So every time that there's a new release, right, I'll just try uh -huh. it out and I'll, I'll, I'll just push all the buttons and I'll, I'll it go to, you know, talk to all the APIs and figure stuff out. And then I ask new questions. And then I go like, but it's like, you know, if I have this question, then probably somebody else has that question too, Good. right? And then that ends up in the documentation or it ends up somewhere else or like a, a default setting in the, in the thing. So I'm a, these things like same defaults, right? What does that mean, right? So for a database, mm -hmm. those kind of things, I, I think about that. But it's like a, 
I agree with what you're saying. It's like it's fun. It, it, I mean, from my perspective, it's fun to share that. And the second thing is there's, there's, and I'm not sure if you see this the same way, but the way that you were, what you were describing, what saying like, you know, um, uh, studying art, the MBA, um, in, into investing, those kind of things. There's of course some kind of a aesthetic also in the beginner's mind, right? To, to, to keep that, to, to keep being good ah. at being in the beginner's minds. That, that, that the expertise is being in the beginner's mindset. Well, you know, you reminded me how when I wrote Laws of Simplicity, my favorite story I found and put in that book is the story of realizing that if you're in like uh, karate, the martial arts, um, apparently if you, you know, you work from a white belt to a whatever, a yellow belt, green belt, where you work your way up to a black belt. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I heard that the goal of the black belt is to have that black belt so worn out that it becomes a white belt. Mm. I, I kind of love that idea because it kind of embodies this beginner mindset desire. Uh, I know that every time I think I'm good at something, I tend to change fields because I'm worried of becoming complacent. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. So is the, the, so what's next for you? Where, where are you going? So it's like we're not. We're, what's what's because now you're you're like in that AI space and, and everything. So well, I, I gotta because... tell you, like like uh, uh, in the last forty eight hours, it's <laughs> assistance, assistance, assistance. It's you know four V four turbo all the way. <laughs> sort of. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I love the multimodal uh, capability. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a. I'm a personal subscriber of GPT plus a cat chat GPT plus. And I was like using it like, you know, I was like, what is this? This is like really good. Um, I like how I'm appreciating multimodal models, appreciating language, right? Cause most people don't realize, cause I come from image processing. They don't realize that image processing was really hard. Maybe you can find one or two things, but it's like, Oh, phew, I found a cat. I guess I'm done. But now with uh, large language models, there's a cat. It's probably indoors or it's outdoors. Is there a bowl or there's no bowl? Is there a chair? It's an indoors, probably a kitchen. It's like um, an amazing way to kind of rebuild the thing that is being looked at. And so when I see 4V, I'm like, wow, image processing plus semantics. Amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. And so I, I've, 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 I've actually one more question about that. So the... the um, um, so I, I mentioned for also the, the status quo bias, and um, it, it's a question about that, and the especially when it comes for to the creative industries. And um, there's this this um, uh, lecture that was given by um, uh, the the science fiction or the I, I believe he also calls uh, calls design fiction author uh, Bruce Sterling, and um, it was actually a couple of years ago in Amsterdam, and he in his lecture he makes the case that. Everything, every technological innovation that's happening um, and the impact that it will have on society, you can see that with musicians first. That is the, oh. that is the, the case that he's making. So, so, so an example would be um, uh, um, when, when, when the web came up, right? So what was the first thing that people started to, to share where we saw like the um, uh, things like aggregation theory and those kind of things? We saw that through Napster in the music industry, right? And, and those kind of things. And 
what's fascinating now with um, everything what's happening with the models, right? And the multimodal models, right? Might, maybe it's happening in music, maybe it's not, but it's like in the creative industries. And, and, and what I meant with status quo by is that some people are afraid. They go like, oh boy, there goes my job, or let's go this or that. Or I believe that the, the writers in, in, in Hollywood, right? So one of the, 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 the points that they had that they were worried about was like the impact of AI on their jobs. I'm, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a glass half full guy kind of guy, right? So my question, I guess, is all this combined is all into a question is like, how do you think, how big is the impact going to be on like in a, assuming that you have a, a positive point of view on this as well for the creative industries? How is this going to help the musicians, the authors, the writers, the, 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 just all the creatives in the world to create new things? Right, not enhance, or maybe you think oh, it will enhance things, or will yeah. create new things. But how do you how do you see this? What will this do for the creatives in the world? Uh, well, first of all, I'm excited about your comment by that person who, in their design fiction, described musicians as kind of the canaries in the coal mine. Yes. You know, uh, there was someone who told me how in the '60s and '70s there was no computer science departments, so IBM recruited from the music department. Mm. Because music is a skill that you learn in a different language and have representation. So I've always liked that analogy. And you also made me think most early digital technology was one dimensional. It was mm. more sound waves, right? Mm. So it was more easy for the new technology to impact musicians because it was accessible to them. Two dimension, three dimension, four dimension, much harder. So, um, going to just art in general and creativity, I look to the era in Europe of the arts and crafts movement mm -hmm. where there was um, Ruskin and Morris. They were leading the arts and crafts movements in the late 1800s in reaction to the textile machines making it easy to make textiles. And that's the era of the Luddites, the so-called Luddites that would go and break the frames of these looms, mechanical looms, to demonstrate against essentially the AI of that era. Um, and Ruskin and Morris were seen as uh, people who were more backwards looking, like why would they make things that are so expensive or just handmade? I think that they were making things that machines could not make. Mm. And that's why we have kept them even now in museums all over the world. So mm. I think we're entering an era where there will be artists who will rightfully demonstrate against what this art is and what it can do negatively. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be artists who are now going to ask themselves, what can we humans make that AI cannot make? I think that's really interesting. And if you're a technologist, you get excited like, oh, wow, those artists are going to make things that AI can't make. So I'll now automate it. You know, go for it, I say on that too as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I find this so fascinating because I... I I, um, I know you have this 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 two by two right with engineering science arts and design right and yeah. I believe that it was Neri Oxman who made this into a craft yeah she cycle, made a more much right? more fancy diagram so it's hers yeah, is better yeah. yeah yeah and that's like it's it's so interesting how we're now with everything that the technology is enabling right so from the level of the models but also the database that kind of stuff that we are just now bringing that to people and that we seem to be moving now more in this arts design kind of way where people just start to create new things to inspire people to start new businesses. And then it's like, keep cycling. Yeah, around. But, but the models can code pretty well, right? I mean, they just keep getting better and better. So 
coding, engineering, science, it's, it's all going to be disrupted. And, um, you know, I was uh, visiting a university recently and I was talking to people there and the dean of the school was saying, like, what do we do? You know, when we don't know what to grade, well, what do we do when the students can use things that are far beyond what we have available to them as tools? Um, so it's an exciting time. It's also a time where people are afraid. And mm. that's why leaders of product companies like yourself can make a huge difference. And um, that's how I really appreciate your social team. Makes really good stuff. Uh, makes it very TikTok-like. You know, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to work. Uh, so uh, kudos to them. Thank you. Thank you. So just to make sure, just to, to um, as an end note, so do, do I hear correctly that you're thinking that this, Basically, this model, like this, uh, that 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 crap cycle, how how we as humans have how things have informed each other to keep growing as a as a as as a human species. That you think that that's going to be disrupted? Oh, um, it's more that all of those four quadrants are being disrupted. Mm. Um, it is those people who live across them that I think are kind of lucky, like yeah. yourself. Um, you know, and I think it's good that we're all trying to explain to more people how these models work, because then they, they can then they can understand how they're they are limited in some degree, and mm -hmm. they're more powerful than you could ever expect. And in that understanding, fear levels go down, mm -hmm. and the constructive ability to go across all those four sectors to create new value uh, for humanity becomes more possible. So yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. the fear is coming. You know, we talk about uh, AI interpretability or understandability. Yeah. I kind of think knowing what embeddings are is a first step towards AI explainability. <laughs> sort of like, <laughs> you know, oh, is that how it works? Banana, orange, apple. Oh, uh, generative models using statistics. Oh, that makes sense. Then the question goes deeper of like how it works and how it's created. Those are all important questions. But even the doorway to understanding is blocked. Mm, yeah. No, it's a, and again, it's a, I just, I think the work that you're doing in helping in that, and, and we as a company humbly try to help there as well, just to give as many people access to these technologies to build stuff, right? To create to, things, whatever they want to build. Well, exactly. And that's why I feel lucky to be in the middle of semantic kernel world mm. where it's all about making it easier for enterprise app developers to make stuff. Yeah. That's why we launched the Cozy AI Kitchen to kind of yeah. widen the funnel of understanding where I show up as a cook and I'm cooking with the semantic kernel oven. And yeah. you know, I know all the different other ways to build an AI. And people will tell me like, well, why would I build a semantic kernel? There's this, that, or whatever. It's amazing. And I'm like, semantic kernel is the boring alternative for enterprise app devs that need to make secure and reliable AI prototypes and solutions. Yeah. Well, yeah, why doesn't yeah. it do this, do that? Because it is the boring and reliable way to do things. I just stick to that. Well, who would ever yeah. want that? Well, it turns out a lot of, a lot of people want that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's true. That's where I'm that's at. True. Thank you so much, John. This was this was wonderful. I, Thank I really you, enjoyed Bob. it. Thank you, Connor. It's an honor to be with here with you.